0: For, building, for a building project. It's all about laying bricks and fixing gates. In fact, some scholars reckon that it was Nehemiah's official report back to Artaxerxes. And it's hard to get excited about official reports, isn't it? And you've got to remember that Nehemiah uh, had been granted leave by the king to rebuild the walls of a city, so it makes sense that he would report back but it's a wonderful passage. It's exciting. I hope you're excited listening to it. <laughs> um, and I know that I'm not alone about being excited about it. Uh, I had John Sefton in my office over January. And John, of course, was an apostolic pastor for 30 years, and he started talking about the Nehemiah six series, and at the mention of Nehemiah chapter 3, I saw John's eyes light up. And, uh, you know, he became very animated, and he started talking with his hands. And I watched this fiery, passionate, but very thoughtful Pentecostal preacher emerge. You know, he loved it as well. I thought, yeah, it's an exciting passage. Right, John? It is. is. (laughs) I won't tell you that he suggested I preach for 30 minutes instead of 20, (laughs) okay, because I don't want to get him into trouble. (laughs) Forty, there we go. (laughs) You don't often get people encouraging you to preach longer. (laughs) But it's this list of names that makes me so excited about this passage. It's the way a whole community, with one or two noticeable exceptions, who gain a God-given vision, And then they come together and they work with each other. They work alongside each other to see it become a reality. And nearly all of these names appear nowhere else in Scripture. You see, they're ordinary folk from different towns and different regions, from different statuses in society. Men and women. Committed to working together for God's preferred future. At a very specific time and a very specific place. A God-appointed time and a God-appointed place and a God-appointed task. And I can't help but look through the lens of the gospel and the New Testament and see it as a wonderful picture of you and I as God's people called to be workers for the kingdom of god building ourselves into the dwelling place of god the place where god's name is worshipped you know that was our call to worship this morning we are being built into the dwelling place of god and at hope fangarei we have a vision to stop being a church in decline and to become and be a flourishing christian community with the mission of connecting people with God and with one another. And this year we are refocusing ourselves on seeing that vision and mission become more and more a reality as we pray, as we plan, and as we work together. And to help us in this process, we are turning to the scriptures, and in particular to the character of Nehemiah, for counsel and wisdom. So let's turn to Nehemiah. Let's turn to the text and see what it has to say to us today. Remember, we understand the text first and then we apply it to our lives. So, the story so far Nehemiah was a Jew in exile in Susa, which was the capital of the Persian Empire. And he was told about the condition of God's people in the city of Jerusalem, that the walls were in ruin and the gates were broken down and burned. And it causes Nehemiah to mourn, to grieve, and to pray, and to catch a vision of being part of God's answer to that situation. And remember, he was the cupbearer to the king. So he risks approaching Artaxerxes, the Persian emperor, and asking him to be allowed to go and rebuild the city where his ancestors were buried. Artaxerxes, of course, had ordered the building stopped because he had been told that the Jews were going to rebel. But now, because of God's grace and God's favour, he changes that degree, decree and allows the rebuilding to start again. And Nehemiah is sent to oversee it. And he arrived and he surveyed the situation for himself and then he calls the people together and tells them, let's rebuild the walls. And they say, yes, we will do it. And in this passage today, we have the report of how that work was achieved. And as a passage, it does feel Uh, a bit like being an official document. I mean, it uses very formulaic language to talk about the rebuilding of the city wall and who did what. Nehemiah set out the work in 40 to 41 different sections, and it seems that they were not all equal sections. Some were small, like the area in front of someone's house, right through to people who did large sections. This could be because of the capacity of the group designated to each section, but also it could be about the condition of those sections and the amount of work that was needed. And as you go through the passage, you see uh, different words used, rebuild, repair, strengthen. It denotes uh, different amounts of work that were needed for different parts of the wall. Likewise, with each gate, we have a detailed reflection on what was needed. Some gates needed to be rebuilt from scratch. Others simply needed the doors remade and the bar restored. Because they were made of wood, they would have been the parts that were burned. The sections are described by reference to physical locations and to landmarks. And biblical scholars and archaeologists find this helpful in reconstructing a picture of the wall. But again, the emphasis that I want to bring and the emphasis of this passage really is on the people who built it. And again, there's formulaic language used to describe them. We have heads of clans who are signified by the use of patronyms. That's that we're told the name of their father and in some cases, their grandfathers. Now, of course, it's in Hebrew, so it'd be bar. Somebody, bar, somebody, bar, somebody, made the gate and put the bar in place. And, of course, it was the people who made the sheep gate, bar, somebody of bar, somebody, <laughs> put the bar on the bar, bar gate. That's, that should be how it's said in the children's Bible, you know? But that's a way of talking about households, groups of people. We think it's one person, but it's an extended family, uh, extended household. It's now working together. And others are acknowledged from the town or region that they're from. We see people from outside of Jerusalem come to help with the rebuild. Others are identified by their trade and their occupation. Temple servants, priests, goldsmiths, perfumers. Their bit might have smelled nice. Maybe they should have put them by the fish gate. Merchants. You know, they are guilds who work together for the rebuild. Some of the names are repeated, which shows that they are simply common or popular names. And notice Nehemiah is mentioned halfway through. That's not the Nehemiah who this book is about. It's Nehemiah, another Nehemiah. Um, you know, and they can be distinguished as you talk about their lineage. Uh, you know, that's the same way that we use to delineate between people these days by using their last names. So let's have a quick highlight tour of the people who rebuilt the wall. And again, I've used the NIV, which is slightly different in its translation than the Good News Bible, and so this is what the one we, we I use when I study. So this is the one we're looking at. And Nehemiah starts by talking about Elishib, the high priest, and his fellow priests. And he starts by talking of the religious leaders of the city. They restore the sheep gate and work on the wall, which would have been closest to the temple. The sheep gate would have been where the animals that, were being, uh, that would be sacrifices were brought into the city for the temple. And by Jesus' time, we know that there was a marketplace there. Because Jesus disrupts it. The focus was first and foremost on Jerusalem as a place of worship. But it also shows that the priests, the religious leaders, were committed to this progress this and this project. The fact that they dedicated the gate and their section of the wall shows to the people that they believed God was in this project. As Donna and Thomas Peter put it in their commentary... The priests were saying, we endorse the work and we bless it. And we see different clans and people from different towns coming and building next to the priests as Nehemiah continues round the wall. And of note here are the men of Tekoa. Could just be a small town up the road here somewhere, couldn't it? Tekoa. It tells us in verse 5 that they came and worked on the wall, but their nobles, their leading men, did not. They felt it was beneath them to do such work. And the Hebrew behind that, the Hebrew image behind that, is that they refused to take on the yoke. Like an oxen refusing to be yoked to plough a field. And of course your biblically trained minds are going, aha, that sounds interesting, I remember that from elsewhere. And later the idea of being yoked was uh, talked about Jews being devout, and keeping the law. And of course, Jesus uses the same image when he talks of the Pharisees burdening people and also invites people who are weary and heavy laden to come to him because he will give us rest and invites us and calls us to take on his yoke for it's light and his burden is easy because Jesus yokes himself with us for the work. The amazing thing about the men of Tekoa is not only did they build the section mentioned in verse 5 without their nobles, but later in verse 27 it tells us that they were part of only a small group of people who actually repaired another section. They went the extra mile. And we're told that men of Gibeon and Mespa, Malatea of Gibeon and Jadon of Meranoth worked on the wall as well. And they're noticeable for being from the province of Trans-Euphrates, whose governor is Sanballat, remember? Sanballat, who was dead against the rebuilding of the wall. But here are his people being prepared to come and work on the wall. And I just can't imagine the kind of pressure that these people would have been under. And yet they still came. And they built. We have Rephia and Salem, who are called governors of half the district of Jerusalem, working on the wall. They are Persian officials. You know, they are Persian officials getting their hands dirty, picking up bricks, slapping mortar. And, uh, you know, the, the officials being involved in that would have strengthened, you know, the claim against those who would say you're rebelling of the legality of the project. Selim is worth noting, as it tells us, that his dorses also worked on the wall. And as I wrote that, I couldn't help but picture John Sefton again in my office, where he almost <laughs> leapt off the couch and said, you see, girls can do anything. <laughs> you know, and he's right. And while they are the only women acknowledged in this chapter, and that was probably because Salem had no sons, the fact that the clan heads are named, you can imagine that women from those families as well as men would have worked on the wall. And we know from the record we have of the rebuilding of the walls of Athens after it had been destroyed by those pesky Persians, so it's about the same time, both men and women were constricted, conscripted, not, const, con, not constructed, conscripted to rebuild those walls. They worked together, men and women. Hanan and the residents of Zenoa are worthy of mention as they restored the valley gate and almost 1,000 cubits of the wall. The uh, good news kind of has it wrong because, in actual fact, that's about 1,500 metres. We also see that officials from surrounding towns came in to help as well. And the Levites are mentioned here. And again, there's a reminder of the significance of Jerusalem as a place of worship. And that paragraph finishes by acknowledging two people who work hard. Baruch, son of Zabi, is said to have zealously repaired another section. You get the the idea that this this person and, and his family uh, really you know worked hard and uh, were an example to others, and then we also have, so have Miramuth, son of Uriah, son of Hakoz, who's again repaired a second section. You know people contributed according to their capacity. And in this final section, we get both more family groups, but also we see people named by their occupation. The priests continued the work. We have Shema'a, the the guard at, at the eastern gate, who repairs that gate. He probably knows it very well and knew how to make what needed to be done there. And then we have the goldsmiths and the merchants. And the temple servants are not named individually, as Nehemiah's focus is on those who were volunteers who came and worked. That's a good place to stop and to turn and look at how this applies to us here today. Firstly, and most importantly, is this amazing picture of the whole community committed to working together, doing their part to achieve what they believe was a God-given vision. And we might look at this story uh, being about Nehemiah, the excellent leader, because, you know, he, he organised it all, and, you know, boy, it's challenging when you're in leadership and you look at Nehemiah and his abilities. Boy, that's really challenging. But it's the people. This is a list of the people, then and there. Ordinary people who pick up uh, bricks and start to do the work. Ordinary people in that time and that place that God used to achieve his divine purpose. To restore Zion. To reestablish the city as a place of worship. To reestablish Jerusalem as a place where people would come and know that Israel's God is the true God. The place where Jesus would come. And lay down his life for us. And these people, with their unusual and unpronounceable, but very common for the time names, are the people that God chose. The people who were there, who had been there for a long time, and those who had come back from exile to be part of what God was doing. And you know, their names are immortalised for us in scripture this ragtag group of returnees with their family connections, their occupations and their local interests. I believe that we are the people of God, that God has called for this time and this place as well. Here and now, it is you and I that I believe God has called to be his people. That God has called for us to rebuild and to work to restore this worshipping community to the vision that we have, the God-given vision of being a flourishing Christian community, connecting people to God and one another. And yes, you know, God is sending people to be with us to do that. And of course, we're welcoming Pauline as an intern today to work with us, to work alongside us for the next two years. But you and I, with our unusual and unpronounceable names and common names, are the ones who is God's calling to be about the task of making our vision a reality. It's you and me. Um, And part of that, you know... Part of that, the big project, that one of the big projects that we've gone on at the moment are looking at the redeveloping the business block and the possibility of it being a city mission-style facility there uh, on the site of the, bu- uh, the business block or the whole site here at Hope Central. You know, if that is going to be a vision that comes to reality, it's going to take the whole community. It's going to take the whole church and the whole city to come together. And take hold of that vision and build towards it. So please keep that in your prayers, and keep Adrian and the governance team in your prayers as they try and do a Nehemiah esque task of making decisions so that we can actually have a vision to begin that pro- in that process. And there's also been uh, this creep, not not a person, but a creep, you know, of th- a moving away. And and moving towards thinking that, you know, that the the work in the church is should be left up to the clergy, to those who are called and paid to be in leadership, to do the work and to grow the church. I mean, they are the ones that should do that, right? Well, we (laughs) it's great to hear nobody said, Amen. (laughs) You know, we have a part to play, we have key roles. But in Nehemiah, you'll notice that the priests in their day did their part and they worked alongside everyone else. Hannah Harrington, in her commentary, sums it up like this. The biblical priests are supposed to lead Israel not only by teaching God's word but by living it out in front of people. But the key phrase repeated again and again in this passage, is they worked alongside or next to each other. We all have a part to play. We're all called to do the work. The second thing is that this amazing picture of a community committed to working together has people from all over, from different positions in society, coming together to work for the common good. And I hear this echoed in Paul That there's no longer Jew nor Gentile, free nor slave, Greek nor barbarian, male or female. We are all the body of Christ together, called to work together. And then in Corinthians, that we have all been given gifts, gifts by the Holy Spirit for the common good. To serve and to care for each other. To proclaim Jesus Christ. And see the kingdom of God grow. It's the Holy Spirit that does that through us. Nehemiah 3 also gives us some real practical insights into how we are to go about that building. To see the vision become a reality. Uh, The first thing is you'll notice that many of them built in front of their own houses. They worked for God's kingdom where they lived. And, you know, seeing our vision of being a flourishing Christian community calls us to work where we live. It starts with maybe even building a relationship with neighbours or workmates, praying for them. Remember our Thy Kingdom Come season of prayer where we asked you to commit to pray for five people to come to know Christ. We need to keep praying for our neighbours, for those people, family members, workmates, to come to know Jesus. And it also involves being a, a flourishing Christian community, involves us sharing what that, that flourishing Christian life that's happening within us. You know, God with us, even in the midst of the ebbs and flows of life. Maybe it actually involves risking asking a neighbour to church or to an Alpha meeting or simply if you can pray for them. And during the Thy Kingdom Come uh, prayer season this year, one of the things I really want to do is go down uh, for an hour a day into the city uh, and simply uh, ask people, if you could say a prayer today, what would you want to pray? And then bringing them back here for a prayer service. It's called, Say One For Me. Yeah. And of course, when we read this list of names... With our contemporary Western mindsets, we tend to think in terms of individuals as well, that it was lone people toiling away on a section of the wall. However, remember, each of those names really incorporates a group and a team, a clan or a family, a group from a certain locale or from the same profession, working together, and as Christians, you know, we are supposed to be in community. You know, the Lone Ranger is not a hero of the Christian faith. Even Jesus. You know, one of the key things Jesus did was group, gather a group of people around him. And, um, you know, that's why our small groups or connect groups are so important. We're supposed to work together. They are key to us seeing our vision become a reality. They are growing tips. And uh, I know in our Connect group we often forget to pray at the end of the, of the uh, time. No, we do pray, but we often forget to pray that God might add a new person to our group to come and join us. But I know that the, uh, the Connect groups out in Onorahi, you know, that they're from the one there that Dennis and Wendy have run, they've planted about two or three other ones out of their Connect group. You know, that's why it's important to be part of a group, to work together. Some, of course, will have capacity to serve in different ways. We see in Nehemiah 3 that some had the capacity to serve and do more, and others simply did what they could. And one uh, refrain I often hear and is, oh, I'm too old to do my bit, and uh, I've done my bit. And can I say at 60... I can actually start to really relate to that. But here are some simple ways that all of us can work to see this as a flourishing Christian community. Welcome people. Particularly welcome families. Welcome children. You know, when new people come in and they're in family groups, yeah, ask what the parents' names are, but ask what the children's names are as well. And remember them. So next time they come, you can go, hey, hey, Ru, how are you going? Ask something. Be interested in them. Where do you go to school? What are you interested in? What's a video game? <laughs> you know, ask. Be interested. Be involved. See children making a noise in church not as an annoyance, and a distraction, but as a wonderful sign and gift from God that our vision of being a flourishing Christian community and the goal we have of being intergenerational is being answered. Praise God for it. Be willing to allow changes to happen, even the ones that we don't like. And it may mean even saying, I'm willing to invest in this even when I've gone. And uh, this is a sensitive subject. We don't often talk about giving. But maybe you want to think about an endowment as part of uh, what you're doing. You know, investing in the vision of the church into the future. But for many of us, there is capacity for greater involvement alongside of the other things that are happening in our lives. Maybe it means simply saying, I'm going to do one new thing. Or I know many of us are really busy. It's an it's actual fact saying, I'm going to evaluate what I do and see what is important and significant, to see where there is a need to build. And maybe to step out of our comfort zones, the things that we normally do, to in actual fact do something new. Now, I'm going to finish off, and I know this is going to sound like a mixed metaphor, but, and you know, I mix my metaphors all the time. But I want to finish off by sharing something which is dear to me. And yes, it probably says something about me that it's as strange as having Nehemiah 3 as my favorite Bible passage. Sitting on the coffee table in my office, are these two lumps of concrete. These two lumps. Nothing spectacular about them. Alf Taylor gave them to me. Alf died last year. He was a Presbyterian minister. He preached at my induction service 19 years ago this month. He was also Enosa's supervisor while he was an intern with us. And, you know, these two bits of stone are probably really relevant for this week as they are relics of a disaster in the Hawke's Bay. They are part of the original wharf that was destroyed in the 1931 earthquake. See, I was inducted and ordained as the minister at Ahariri on the waterfront there and he gave them to me to remind me that we are living stones being built together into the temple of god from first peter chapter 2 which we had uh, as our call to worship today they also fit in well as we are looking at rebuilding the wall putting those broken down walls back together But it's a picture of us as God's people, cemented by Christ, together. Each not only with a place to belong, but a part to play. You know, and seeing God's preferred future for our church become a reality. To see the kingdom of God break more and more into the realms of humanity. To be people that would be able to connect those around us with God and with one another. So Nehemiah chapter 3 says to us, let's build together in Christ. Amen. And we're going to say, stand and in response I want you to invite you...